You can go ahead and grab a seat at all of our campuses. And thank you so much for being here. And one thing I want to do, one privilege that we have at Northridge Church is we have phenomenal worship teams built of volunteers and, and staff members who lead us ultimately to God and in worship. And so can we just at all of our campuses give it up for our worship teams who put in so much time and energy. And ultimately, we, we worship because it, it sets our heart in the right place. Man, life is hard. We come in here with all different circumstances, and there's something about singing the truths of God that just align our hearts up with who God is so we can hear what he has to say to us each and every day. And so thanks for being here this morning. I'm going to dive right in. You think about success, right? We're all kind of chasing success. We, we, that's our aim. We, we want to be successful parents. We want to be successful uh, college students. We want to be successful in our businesses as coworkers or, or bosses or leaders. We want to be successful moms and dads and grandparents. And, and in life, our aim, our goal ultimately is to be successful. But did you know that success can actually bring pain? Success can actually bring trials and hardships. Let me, let me put it to you like this. Maybe you're kind of in the season where, you know what, you worked your, your butt off at work every single day to impress your boss. Year after year, you pushed and you grinded to get that promotion and you wanted your boss to see how valuable you were and finally you got it. You were given the promotion at work, you were taken up to another level and, and here you find yourself in a season of success, celebrating, excited, but maybe what you don't know, or maybe what you do know, is in the midst of your celebration, someone else didn't get the promotion. And that was crushing to them. It hurt them. Your success actually caused their pain. Or, or maybe we look at it like this. Let's say for some reason, it had to be God, that the Bills win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, right? Who's with me, right? Like the Bills win the Super Bowl. I mean, you guys have waited and you've agonized and you've dealt with the hard days and this year is your year and you find yourself celebrating a Super Bowl championship. It's amazing. It's awesome. But even in the midst of your celebration, there's a team that lost, that's feeling the agony and the crushing, the crushing feeling of defeat and all their fans are right there. And if anybody knows that feeling, it would be Buffalo Bills fans. <laughs> See what I did there? I like set you up, got you all excited, be like, boom, gotcha. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good this morning. You guys feeling good this morning? Because success can actually hurt at times. And we've been studying the life of Paul, and here's what we're going to kind of figure out today. Here's what we're going to learn today is Paul's in the midst of preaching the gospel, telling each region about Jesus, and he's beginning to be successful. God's using him, and people are believing in the truth. And, and although he's being successful, it's going to cost him. His success is actually going to bring pain into his life and other people's lives, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series we're calling Paul, and we're just studying this man's life, his circumstances, his character, and we're learning from it. And I can only speak for myself, but man, this series has been really challenging to me personally. It's been a series where God has been just kind of revealing some things in me that he needs to mold and refine in me to make me look more like him. 
And my prayer for really any series that we do is that happens in my life and in your life. You know, we don't show up and and come to church at an auditorium or watch online just to check some spiritual box. But we show up and we open God's word that doesn't return void. So God slowly, day after day, week after week, he begins to change us and mold us. So we look more like him each and every day. And my prayer for me as I leave the stage and I go home, and my prayer for you as you leave your chair and you go home or you stay at home online is that God, you would walk out of here and the spirit would show you areas that need change. They might be big, they might be really small. But that's why we gather so we open God's word and it, it reveals to us places that we need to adjust and change and refine. And this series has really done that for me. It's really challenged and convicted me. And as we dig a little bit deeper into Paul's life, we see he's going to be successful. The, the gospel is beginning to change people's lives. But here's the problem with the gospel. We carry that mantle just like Paul carried that mantle. And here's what we have to understand. And here's what Paul's getting ready to find out. And here's what we find out in our life is as we carry the gospel, the gospel will provoke opposition. If you are truly serious about the gospel, about sharing your testimony, about telling people about Jesus, about living pi squared, ultimately, if you carry the gospel and you live the gospel out, there's gonna be opposition to it. Paul's ministry wasn't always a, a bed of roses, but he had to deal with some really hard and painful opposition. And I wanna you, show you the kind of the two sources of where that opposition came. It's really true for Paul and it's true, the same places of opposition that we face today. The first one, the, the first source of opposition to the gospel is just opposition to the message itself. The content, the truth of the gospel. You know, last week I told you that the gospel is offensive. The, the, the truth of the gospel is not a, a warm and fuzzy message. It's a hard and painful message. No one likes to hear that you're a sinner and, and your sin causes you to fall short of God's standard and there's nothing you can do to fix that, but it's only through Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection that you can be in right standing with God. And if you don't figure that out through Jesus, it's not good. That's not an exciting message that we have to share with people. It's offensive. And Paul found this to be true as he preached the gospel all throughout regions. He realized that the content of what God gave him to share with people, it offended some people. It bothered some people. In fact, this is what he says about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says this, but we preach Christ crucified. So Paul says, hey, my essential message is the gospel. It always has been and it always will be. The reason I'm on this earth, the reason why God called me to this ministry is to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's what I preach, he says. Here's the results. It became a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So here, just in the content of the gospel message, two groups of people struggled. The first one was the Jews. Paul says it's a stumbling block. It's like this barrier that that they can't press through because the implications of the gospel, the the message itself would remove their law and put them under a new law. That became this roadblock to Jewish people following Jesus. It was the stumbling block. But to a whole nother crowd of people, the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, they just thought the gospel was straight up foolishness. Cool, Paul, awesome message. Some guy died and rose again and he gave me victory. You're crazy. You're a lunatic, bro. Like, hey, at the end of the day, you're a fool to actually believe in that message. 
And so there's some opposition that Paul faced just solely based on the truth of the gospel. But then there was a second wave of opposition, and this was opposition to the change that the gospel produces. Do you realize today that when the gospel is truly believed in, it always provides change? It always brings change? Think about that for a second. Because there's many of us today that claim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We put our faith and trust in that message. And my question for you today is, has that gospel actually changed your life? Has it changed the way you think and the way you believe and the way you act and the things you say? And has it changed your life? Because if you truly haven't been changed by the gospel, you might actually wanna look into the gospel that you're actually believing in. Because the the gospel, if we truly believe in what Jesus did for us, we place our life in that message and that truth, it's gonna change us. It's gonna transform who we are. And you wanna know the truth? Some people won't like that change. Some people won't actually like what the gospel produces in us. And oftentimes, it's the people closest to us. Let me flesh this out for you. Because the gospel actually brings tension into some of our relationships. Maybe it's you who've experienced this. Maybe it's between a husband and a wife. Let's just say the the wife gets saved in that relationship. She says yes to Jesus. He becomes her forgiver and her leader. And it begins to change her. And what it does is it often causes tension in a marriage relationship. Because now this wife, maybe she has kids. She brings her kids to church. They're growing in the relationship with God. They want to maybe give back to the church. And the husband's like, hold on a second. Wait, 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 you want to do what with our money? You're you're going to go to church and you're going to take my kids to church? Like, and it creates tension because the gospel is changing someone, but somebody doesn't like it. Maybe it's with your coworkers, right? You you embrace the gospel and, and it's beginning to change you, your character, your integrity, and now your coworkers are frustrated with you because you will no longer cut the corners at work that you used to, or you no longer gossip about that person who drives everybody crazy in the office, and your coworkers are like, yo, what happened to you? Or maybe it's in, in, in a friendship where you, you, the gospel is starting to change who you are, and because of that, you'll no longer go to the same places and interact with the same things you used to, and so your friends are like, what, are you too good for us now? The gospel is so good that you can't even have fun with your friends? Or, or maybe it's with your boyfriend or your girlfriend in a dating relationship, where because the gospel is, is ref, refining you and renewing you, that you will no longer participate and fulfill desires that you once did in a dating relationship and your boyfriend or your girlfriend is like, do you even love me anymore? Or maybe it's the jokes that you used to laugh at. You know, those sexist and racist jokes that were so funny and now your friends are like, can you be fun anymore? Is Jesus not any fun? And you see, (laughs) there's a wave of opposition that people don't like the changes that are actually taking place in your life. And guess who had to deal with these? His name was Paul. And I wanna show you how he interacted with opposition. If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I'd encourage you to 
to turn your, in your Bible there. We're going to plant in here and we're going to work through a story. It's going to start in verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, man, you can use the one of ours. It's going to be on page 898. Grab your program. Take some notes for your community group discussion. Write down questions that you might have to dive a little bit deeper into this story. If you're a guest, man, take that connection card and fill that out. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you got prayer requests, we'd love to pray for you. You can put that in the basket as you leave our auditoriums. And as you make your way there, just want to quickly welcome you to Northridge Church. You know, we're one church in multiple locations, and so we got people from Webster and Greece and Henrietta and Arondacoit. We have an online community that watches every single week, and so welcome to every single person. And, you know, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag, and this might bring up some opposition, but yes, um, I did decorate for Christmas yesterday. <laughs> Come on, right? Like, I know the people who are booing just aren't that excited to celebrate Jesus' birth, but I am. Yeah, you see what I did there? I got the mic, you don't. <laughs> I told you, I'm feeling good this morning. But, it, you know, I wore my Christmas shirt. I'm just excited for the holidays, and so, you know what? Judge me all you want. Acts 16 is where we are. Stop getting distracted. Acts chapter 16, we're going to dive into verse 16. Paul is in the city of Philippi, and here's what happens. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. So here, Paul is in another area. We, we've kind of studied his life, we're six weeks into it, and we see him bouncing all around the region. And that's who he was. He was this missionary that went everywhere. And he, did, he, he does in Philippi what he always does. He was a normal guy, set up his tent shop, and he begins to contextualize his message. He begins to meet people, build relationships, ultimately to get to the place where he can talk about Jesus. And so they're here in Philippi and he's walking around and then this female slave notices him. He notices Paul and his partners in the ministry of the gospel and this female slave is a little bit more significant because she's possessed by a spirit. And that spirit gives her the ability to see the future, to, to, to see and tell people what's gonna happen next in their lives. And so the owners of this female slave loved her because she was the cash cow. She was the perfect woman who could make them a ton of money. And so they exploited her by bringing people in, telling their future, and making a ton of money off of her. So one day, Paul and all of his ministry companions are walking, and this female slave notices her and, and notices them, and she begins to follow. And as she's following them, this is what she does. Ministers of the most high God, they're telling people how to get saved. Ministers of the most high God, they're telling people how to get saved. And I can imagine you're as annoyed as I am after two times of that. She did it day after day after day. Ministers of the Most High God, they're telling people how to get saved. And she followed them, followed them day after day. And finally, Paul had enough. Verse 18, he responds. It says, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. 
And there's a couple things I want you to see really quickly here. One, I, I love Paul's response because the Bible says he was so annoyed. You ever been so annoyed? And I love that because the Bible didn't have to include that, but it makes Paul human to me. It makes Paul seem like an actual person rather than some spiritual superhero that I could never achieve to be. And Paul is, is walking day after day listening to this woman, and I can just imagine him turning in his frustration and his annoyance and just being like, would you shut up? Leave us alone. And finally, he's just like, hey, in the name of Jesus. Now, let, let's stop there because I think that's important. What I love about Paul is as influential and as awesome as he was, he knew where his power and his ability came from. Paul says, in the name of Jesus. And I think that we just need be, to be reminded of that today because there are times in, in my ministry and there's times where you serve on Sundays. There's times where you, you know, present the gospel to your friends. There's times where you're trying to do something God has called you to. And a, a lot of times I'm guilty of this is I do it in my own strength, in my own capacity, in my own ability. And man, when I do those things, I'm useless to God. But when I choose to step into the power of my God, the great God that we worship, and I allow his power to flow through me, that's when I'm actually impactful. And Paul looks at this woman and he says, in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Paul, not in my strength, but he says, through the power Jesus has given me, spirit leave. The spirit goes. And you would be like, wow, that was awesome. Like I'm sure everybody watching this moment was like, whoa, this is awesome, praise Jesus, gospel success, this woman is freed from an evil spirit, she probably feels good, they just got to watch God do a, a, a miracle in this woman's life, wow, let's celebrate, what a successful moment. But I told you, success sometimes can bring pain. And not everybody was celebrating this moment. Verse 19, this is what it says, it says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And so here, Paul and Silas and, and his partners in the gospel were successful. But you know who was mad? The owner. Because the owner just realized revenue went down. They just lost a huge amount of money, of income, because now the spirit is gone and she can no longer tell the future. And so what do they do? They grab Paul and Silas and, and they take them to the authorities to be punished for that. And let's think about this for a second. Let's take a moment because we have to understand here Paul and Silas are here to present the gospel, to share the gospel. And we have to understand when we do the same thing, when the gospel is shared, opposition will arise. When we get serious about the gospel and when we take it wherever we go, when we live it out, when we live pie squared and when we invite our neighbors and when we present Jesus to people, we just have to expect as Christians that that will bring opposition. Do you wanna know who hates the gospel? It's our enemy. The devil cannot stand when we speak the truth of the word. And whenever that happens, he will bring whatever and how, he will bring things into our life. He will arise opposition to get us to stop. And that's what he tries in Paul and Silas's life. And so they experience success and that success takes them in front of the magistrates. Verse 20, it says this, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. 
by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined them in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After that, they had been, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded, to the, commanded the guard to watch them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So here, Paul and Silas are living out the gospel, and guess where it takes them? To being stripped naked in front of a crowd, beaten, flogged, and thrown in prison. And anytime I, I read something like this in, in the Bible, I, I, at some level, I'm just really challenged and convicted. Because, man, I'm a pastor. I, I try to preach the gospel every single weekend, the truth of God's word. And here's the reality, is I never have to face anything near this. I, I never wake up on a Sunday morning, go over my message and say, hey, is this the day where I get thrown in prison? Is this the day where people start beating me? Is this the day where I get severely flogged and abused for my love of the gospel? And it's true for you too. In your neighborhoods and in, in, in wherever God takes you and in, in, in coaching a team, when you share the gospel, we don't have to fear this. The greatest fear that we might actually have is someone might reject us. Someone might look at us funny. We might lose a relationship. Someone might mock us. And you know what's crazy? Is the fear of being beaten almost to death never stopped Paul, but the fear of rejection or what people might think of us stops me and it stops you. And that's so convicting to me. That man, I, what would it look like if I was actually living in a place where they would do this to me? Man, I'd never talk about the gospel because I have enough trouble talking about the gospel where it's really safe to talk about the gospel. Man, so they're beaten, they're flogged, and it's not like they, they were sent to a medic to clean up their, their wounds. No, their skin was peeled back and then they put stalks on them, sitting in agony. And guess how they choose to respond? Verse 25, it says this, about midnight, maybe they were up because they couldn't stop enduring the pain. The pain kept them up. It said, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Wow. I mean, it just blows my mind. It really does. These guys have been abused for the sake of the gospel. And what is their response? Worship. To pray and to sing. I mean, we have enough trouble today from Sunday to Sunday showing up based on our circumstances. It kind of defines how we worship, right? Like, I'm, I'm gonna be into it this week because I had a good week or ah, I don't feel very good. I don't think I like sing. I don't, I don't know. Paul and Silas are in prison, wrongfully been abused, and the response is just to simply say, great is my God. And all the prisoners listened. And this wasn't the only time this happened to them. If you go three chapters later, Acts chapter 19, these same circumstances happen kind of again. 
In the city of Ephesus, Paul is preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, and people are getting saved. They're believing in the gospel. And it's, getting, it's gotten so bad in Acts chapter 19 that idol makers, guys who made a living off of making wooden idols that people could worship in their homes, they start losing business. They start losing money. And it bothers them so much. They're so mad at Paul that they start a riot in the city. The city's chanting, great is Artemis, the god of this city. It gets so wild and, and crazy that they fill up a, a, almost like a football stadium of people who want to kill Paul. You should read it in your Bibles this, this week. Acts chapter 19. This was Paul's life. He believed in the gospel so much that it didn't matter what opposition arose. And the truth for you and the truth for me today is if we're truly serious about the gospel, if we're truly serious about what Jesus said our commission is, then we will face opposition. I wish it was different, I really do, but we will face opposition. It might look different than this, but we will have tensions and struggles that we have to wrestle through. And so what can we learn from Paul in the midst of the opposition that we can embrace today? And I think the first thing is we have to learn to embrace the offensiveness of the gospel. I think we have to get to a, a place in life where we understand we carry a, a message and the content of that message, not everyone is gonna like or accept. You know, last week I, I talked about contextualization. Finding common ground with people, adapting to the culture around you so you could say the truth to people. And so we, we said last week that your approach almost trumps your content. How you approach things sets you up, it gains you influence so that people will actually listen to what you have to say. But here's what I found to be true in my life and many people's lives is we approach the gospel the right way, we contextualize and we get to the truth of the gospel and we don't wanna offend anybody. And so you know what we do? We sugarcoat it. We soft serve the gospel. We kind of change some things so people will maybe hear it a little bit differently. And the one thing I love about Paul is he would contextualize all day long. He would work on his approach. He even said, I became a slave to people so that they would hear the gospel. But when it, that moment came where he had people's ears and he had a chance to present the truth, he never sugarcoated it. He never soft served it. He just preached up the straight up truth of the gospel. And he didn't care how people responded. He, he just said, hey, you gotta repent from your ways. You gotta turn from, from your, your idolatry. You gotta believe in only Jesus and you can be changed forever. And he just didn't shy away from the truth. And I think as Christians today, we can contextualize all day long, but the purpose is, is so we can tell the truth, all of it, because that truth will change people's lives. Why could Paul do that? Why could Paul be so aggressive and, and not care that his message was offensive? I think he understood that without the pain the gospel produces, we can't experience the life the gospel offers. Here's, here's the crazy thing about truth, is the truth often hurts. You ever been hurt by someone telling you the truth that you didn't want to hear? And the reason why that's so important is truth produces pain. So when I tell somebody the full truth, I don't sugarcoat it, that truth produces pain. And guess what pain does? Pain is one of the greatest motivators to change. 
So if I choose to avoid all the truth, I don't produce the change, I don't produce the pain, and what happens is people miss out on the change. And that's why it's so important that the gospel actually offend, because in the offense, in the truth of the gospel, it produces a pain, it crushes our pride, and it makes us see us for who we really are. And what that pain does is it make me, makes me realize that I am a sinner, and without Jesus, I have no shot of life, and that pain leads me to a savior. Because pain produces change. And, and here's what I think about life sometimes is sometimes I and we are afraid to tell the truth. I don't mean lying, like just randomly lying about something. What I mean is when it comes to our relationships with our spouse, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our family members, our kids, we're afraid to tell people the full truth. Why is that? Because we're afraid of offending somebody. We know that our spouse needs to change, but they'll never change because we're afraid to tell them the truth that produces the, the pain that actually leads to the change. And that's why God created the gospel as an offensive message, because he knew that truth, the truth that we all need, will produce a pain in us that leads us to Jesus, and that actually changes our life. So we have to learn to embrace the offensiveness of the gospel. How do we do that? How did Paul do that? Well, I think we need to learn a skill. A skill that I think Paul had this uncanny ability to see past the inevitable opposition. Paul had this ability, and I think we need to learn from Paul, follow his example, where we look past our circumstances, where we look past our pain, and we see where God wants to take us, how he wants to use us. You see, I believe Paul believed that while you will experience pain while he would experience uh, the pain of, of opposition, the price was worth it. I think Paul believed in the outcome of the gospel enough to push through the difficulty and the pain of his circumstances. It, it's kind of like this. Let me, let me put it to you like this. One of my favorite shows on HGTV right now is not Fixer Upper. It's Flipper Flop. Anybody seen the show Flipper Flop? It's one of my favorite shows because you see some of these crazy, nasty houses be completely restored. And I've, I've had the opportunity to flip a couple houses in, in my life with my wife. And here's what I know about flipping houses is if you look at the cost and you look at the time and the energy it's going to take to make that house what it should be, you'll actually never pull the trigger in doing it. If you focus all on, on, on the, the temporary things you'll never get to where you want to go. And so you have to focus on what the house could be. You almost have to have vision to see where the house and what the house could be because that will actually lead you to doing the hard things in life. And the same is true with the gospel. Is the reason why Paul could endure so much pain in his life is because he didn't focus on it. He, his, his life, his eyes weren't on his circumstances. They were on what God was gonna do and accomplish through him. In fact, this is what he says in Romans chapter eight. He says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He just simply said, yeah, I, I, I'm not even gonna dare compare my suffering to what God has in store for me because they don't compare. And so here's what we have to learn. We have to learn to see past the opposition, to see past the rejection, to see past the painful moments that are tied to the gospel. 
And this leads us to understand this, how you and how I handle opposition will determine how far your impact goes. Your ability to persevere, your ability to to handle adversity will ultimately lead to your legacy. If you study Paul's life, which we're doing, you will find, and we're gonna talk about this in week eight as we close the series down, Paul dealt with pain on a regular basis. And his threshold for pain and suffering and trials was very high. And guess what? Thousands of years later, guess what we're still doing? Talking about him. Because of his legacy. Because he handled pain so well. And I remember when I was getting ready to move to Rochester, I accepted this position. Believe it or not, it's almost been four years And I remember we were packing up our house, moving from Atlanta to Rochester, and my mentor, his name is Sean Lovejoy, he called me on the phone, and he congratulated me. He just said, hey, Drew, I'm so excited for what God's going to do with that church. I'm so excited for you in this new position. And he said, hey, I just want you to know something. I kind of want to set you up for success, and I want you to know something tied to leadership. And he said, hey, it doesn't matter what you're leading. It doesn't matter if you're leading in your home with your kids. It doesn't matter if you're leading a business, a church. It doesn't matter where you lead. Here's what you have to understand about leadership. Leadership is always connected and tied with pain. If you want to be a great leader, Drew, you're going to have to accept pain will be on its way. And he told me, he said, I want you to read a book. He said, here's the book. It's called Leadership Pain, it's by Samuel Chand. (coughs) Excuse me. And he said, hey, read this book and tell me what you think. And I read through this book, I churned through this book, and this quote stood out to me so much, it's been almost ingrained into who I am now. He says this, Samuel Chand says, you'll grow only to the threshold of your pain. And here's what he meant by that. He said, your lid or your capacity as a leader is determined by how much pain you're willing to endure. If you're always choosing to avoid pain, you will diminish the legacy and the impact that you have. But if you don't run from pain, if you persevere through pain, your leadership will grow and and expand. And if you study Paul's life, it makes sense. He walked through some really difficult times. He (coughs) He had to persevere through pain. And it left the legacy that we're all talking about. In fact, in this story, Paul is doing that right now. He's persevering through pain. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He's been put in cuffs, sitting in a jail, and his response is to worship God. But the story isn't finished. As Paul perseveres through the pain, God uses him in a way he probably never thought imagined. Check this out. Verse 26, it says this. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prisoner doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, What must I do to be saved? 
They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. Why? Because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. See here, Paul pushes through the pain and God uses him in a mighty way. And my question for all of us today is what if Paul and Silas decided to quit right then and there? I mean, honestly, I don't think anybody would have blamed them in this journey. Like, okay, you've just been flogged, you've been beaten, you've been humiliated. And I, I think in my life, my natural response would have been to complain. Like, okay, God, listen, I think your gospel is amazing. I think what you do, I think what you did for the world is awesome, but I didn't sign up for this, God. Like, I want to carry your gospel, but if it's going to lead me to these places, like, hey, I'm just going to go home and take care of my family and live my life. And I don't think any of us could have blamed Paul one iota. But Paul persevered. Paul endured the adversity. And guess what it did? It changed a man, the jailer, and his whole household for the sake of the gospel. And what if today we viewed opposition as validation that God is using us? Maybe we need a perspective change. You see, no one wants to face opposition. We run from it, we rebel against it. But what if we actually, as Christians, carrying the mantle of the gospel, what if we actually viewed opposition from our enemy as validation that God is actually working in us and through us? What if we just said, well, you know what, hey, I want, I mean, at the end of the day, I want to be a threat to our enemy. I want the enemy to be so busy and so concerned with me that they're like, man, I got to throw some opposition that guy's way because he won't shut up about the gospel. I want to be viewed as a threat to, to what the enemy's trying to accomplish. And maybe today I just view his opposition as validation to, man, God is using me. And I'm okay walking through the storm. I'm okay dealing with the trials because I want to please my Savior. But maybe today you're here and, and you know what? You're like, I, I don't even know what opposition feels like. Maybe today you haven't faced opposition in a while because honestly, you just don't take the gospel that seriously because it's been a while since you shared your faith. It's been a while since you invited someone to church. It's been a while before you, you actually lived and growed, grew in the gospel. And here's what we have to understand. Opposition's gonna come, but opposition only wins when we decide to quit. The enemy only wins when he throws opposition our way, when we choose to give up, throw in the towel, and quit on what God has called us to. And could you imagine if Paul and Silas gave up. And maybe you just needed to hear those three words today. Maybe you're in the midst of a struggle. Maybe you're dealing with opposition right now. And I would just simply tell you to don't, don't give up. Keep fighting. And the way we do that is the way Paul did. In Romans 8, he says, hey, I don't even compare my present suffering to the glory God has for me. 
And when I keep my eyes not on the pain I'm enduring, not on the suffering that I'm dealing with, not on the adversity, when I keep my eyes off of those things and I look up to my Savior and what he's accomplishing through me, it is all worth it. And so my prayer for me and my prayer for you today is that our eyes would be located in the right place so that we can endure the opposition and continue to carry the gospel to our great city of Rochester. Will you pray with me? God, thanks so much for your word. Thank you how it challenges us. And God, I, I read these stories of Paul being beaten for the sake of the gospel. And God, I'm convicted because man, I'm afraid of rejection. I'm, I'm afraid of what people might think. And God, I pray that you give me a heart today that looks past the opposition. I pray that you give me a heart that sees past all the pain and, and the hardships that I might have to walk through. But I would view the glory that you have in store for us. God, give us eyes to see what you're doing and working in our city, how you're using each and every one of us as, as ambassadors of the gospel in people's lives. And so may we never quit, may we keep going, and may we see you do what only you can do, God. In Jesus' name, amen.